This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9. With available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults, with zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute and available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. Status is an underlying motivator of human behavior. Our anxieties and our desires for status can often influence what we do and how we think in ways which we don't even realize. That's the argument of today's guest, Will Storr. He speaks to Manveen Rana about the status game. And if you do enjoy it, you can find a link for the book in the podcast description. But now let's go to the episode. Hello and welcome to this Intelligence Squared event. I'm delighted to be joined tonight by the brilliant Will Storr, who's the author of five critically acclaimed books and his journalism has appeared in titles such as The Guardian, The Sunday Times, The New Yorker and The New York Times. He's won a National Press Club Award for Excellence and his work on sexual violence against men earned him an Amnesty International Award and a One World Press Award. He teaches storytelling classes in London and has presented his Science of Storytelling workshop all over the world. His new book is called The Status Game, on social position and how we use it. And if my experience is anything to go by, reading it will probably change the way you look at the world. Well, we are delighted that you could join us tonight. And I wasn't kidding. Your book really does sort of introduce some fascinating insights on status. But it's one of those books where once you've started to look at the world through the prism of the status game. It's something you can't quite unsee. You know, you spot it everywhere from the way the economy works to social media. What was the big moment of revelation for you, you know, and seeing how the world really works? You know, how did this book come about? Uh, I think there were two. There was two really. So, so a, a few years ago, I published a book called Selfie, and Selfie was 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 really about the Western self, you know, and, and it was this idea that you know culture is really important in kind of shaping who we are. And as part of that research, you know, I found out about the evolutionary psychology of how we're all these you know tribal animals with these tribal apes. And, you know, the groups that we gather in are basically, you know, you know, reflect the groups that we evolved in. And then and then that was the first thing. And, you know, when I was researching that book, I met a well-known psychologist, Professor Bruce Hood down at the University of Bristol. And, you know, he had this kind of throwaway comment to me. He said, oh, you know, why do we do the things we do? You know, once we've got enough you know, money and for our families and resources, it's all validation. And, you know, I just thought as soon as as soon as he said that, I just thought that's so cynical and reductive. But then I thought about it a bit more and I thought, actually, I think you might have a point. And that kind of that really stayed with me that just that that kind of throw throwaway comment. So that was it. That was really its genesis. And then, you know, secondarily, people telling me for, for years I had to read Sapiens. <laughs> so never, and I eventually read Sapiens. And he's got this bit in this book where everyone was telling me about when I'm teaching storytelling about 
you know, what is what is a company like Peugeot? It's a story. And I just thought, you know, I don't think that's right. I don't think it is a story because it doesn't have a hero. And, and, and I thought, well, it's, it, it's it, you know, he was saying Peugeot doesn't exist. But I thought it does exist because it's a group. It's a tribe. And then I kind of put those things together, really, that the world is made up of these kind of pseudo tribes. And then what are these tribes? Well, they're these games we play for status. And that's how that's actually how Peugeot works. It's not a story, as, as he says in Sapiens. It's a status game. So, the, so it, it was a kind of response to that. And that was its absolute sort of genesis. And, and talk us through how the status game works, because, you know, plenty of people who are watching now are probably sort of shrugging their shoulders and saying, you know, <laughs> wealth isn't something that drives me. I'm not obsessed with status. Yeah. Clearly, that's not true. Yeah. So talk us through how status actually manifests itself. You know, how, how, what are the sources of status? Yeah, I so, 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 so the basics are that, that, that you know, we were living in these hunter-gatherer groups for around 100,000 generations. And we've just been sort of settled down in towns and cities for f- about 500 generations. So it's an unimaginably longer time. And that's when our brains were doing much of their evolution. Uh, and we're this species of ape. You know, we're like a weird ape. Uh, and we're weird because we've solved the problems of you know, cooperation. Uh, and, you know, we've worked out how to be very hyper-social. So we, we rely on the group. So we've, we've evolved these instincts and these emotions that encourage us to do two things. One is to connect into groups and be accepted into groups. But once we've accept, been accepted into groups, we kind of want to r- rise up those groups. And we want to rise up those groups because for millions of years, it's been true for us as it is true for most animals, that the more status you get, um, the better everything else gets. The more resources you get, um, the, the safer your sleeping sites, the, 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 the greater your access to mates. So it's this very basic kind of fundamental rule the brain knows. Get more status. Because if you get more status, everything else gets better. Your survival and reproduction gets better. So that's, so that's what we do. And, 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 you know, status games are just the way that we've evolved, that humans have evolved to, to, to get status. We connect into groups and we earn status within them. And that's, and that's a description of religions, corporations, political groups, hobby groups, you, you know, you name it. That's what, that's what human social life is outside the family. That's what we do. We connect into groups. And we play for status in them. So, so, so that's that, that's the kind of basic idea. And in in the book, you sort of you divided into two prestige games in particular, which I think it, that that that's probably the bit that surprises people. You know, people who think that they're not really obsessed with status might just be obsessed in a different form of it. So, talk us through those those games in particular. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. So so. so so there are three ways that we earn status. The first way is dominance, and, that, and that's what we, how we've been earning status for millions of years, and that's when we force people to attend to us in status. But, but when we settled down into, into, into communities, you know, it wasn't very useful for us to go beating each other up for rank. You know, what, it, what it wasn't, you know, uh, it doesn't really help communal living. So, 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 so we became very good at these prestige forms of status, so reputational status. And, and you earn prestige by being useful, by showing that you're useful to your your group and there, there are two ways of doing that the first way is to be virtuous so to show that you're you know be generous be uh, helpful be courageous in battle to follow the beliefs and rituals of the group you know precisely and to enforce them so so, so, so that's one way of earning prestige and the other way is we're being useful we're being competent by showing that you're skillful or a, like a, a great honey finder or a storyteller or sorcerer so those three ways dominance virtue and success that, that's how we were playing for status 
10, 20,000 years ago. And it also defines human social life today. Dominance, virtue and success. That's what we do. And people do get caught up with a couple of things. You know, money is an obvious one. But but we haven't evolved to, to crave money. We've evolved to crave status. And money is just one one type of state, you know, one way that we can symbolize status. There are, there are infinite ways we can symbolize status. When we're playing Monopoly, it's plastic houses. <laughs> you know, uh, if, we're, if we're, you know, in a, in a, in a Christian church it's our christian practice and how 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 well we adhere to the rules of the christian game so so there are limitless ways we can play for status and and those ways are defined by the groups that we're playing groups come together and they kind of agree what are we going to use to symbolize status uh, you know in, in today we've seen the protesters you know this week closing down the motorway system mm. because they want to everyone to insulate your houses and so that's that, that that's a virtue form of status game so so virtue becomes a way of competing. Yeah, so 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 you know the simplest way to think about it is you know you you can be three kind of superstar. You can be Idi Amin if you're a dominance person. You can be Mother Teresa if you're playing a virtue game, or you can be you know one you know one of these um, one of the amazing women that invented the AstraZeneca vaccine. You know dominance, virtue, and success. So so so, so you know we make superstars of our very moral people. You, you you've only got to spend about four seconds online to see people earning status for you know, virtuous and moral behavior. And, you know, people think, oh, it's so, it's kind of negative. It's very cynical. But I actually, that's how I kind of thought at the beginning. But but after writing the book, I I kind of changed my view, really. And I, and I realized that, that we are this amazing animal that has evolved a, a system of reward for being selfless and generous and useful. So, you know, when, when we do something morally good, we feel good about that. And that's our brain going, yes, do more of that, you know, and people applaud us and go, you're really good. <laughs> and that's actually a fantastic thing. You know, that, that's brilliant. So, it's, so, you know, it's that, so that, that reward system is status and it's not a bad thing. It's actually a really good thing. It's a thing we're a bit ashamed of, um, but, but, but it's undeniably there, I it's think. Fascinating. I mean, it does seem to sort of t- turn Darwinism on its head. But, you know, as you pointed out there, status and people's desire for it can be incredibly productive. You know, it can lead to, to people competing to find the best vaccination as quickly as possible. It can lead to great art, huge wealth. What I found really surprising in the book, but makes sense when you sort of explain it, is that it can also lead to social media pylons. I mean, talk us through that. Yeah, so 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 obviously we think of morality as being something that's unquestionably good, but 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 morality really is the ultimate kind of trade off. You know, outside the family, in in the status game, morality is really serving our group. It's being selfless to our group, but it's also fighting on behalf of our group. Uh, you know, courageous, brave super violent warriors when we were evolving earned status for, for, for victories in battle and that remains true today on social media so so you know m- morality is kind of local to your group in, to the nazis hitler was a hero and of course to us he's a synonym for, for, for evil so it's just another way that we play games around status if, if people serve our group and you know enforce its rules and enforce its beliefs is a big thing on social media enforce its rituals its dress codes we 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 applaud them we go yeah you did a great job that's amazing so in in the book as you know i you know i i talked to somebody that got sucked into the anti-vax world and that was very much a virtue game you know she she described 
going out into the world and proselytizing and evangelizing her anti-vax beliefs. And she'd come back and open up Facebook and tell all the, you know, people on, on, on the, on the anti-vax group, what I had a big row with my doctor and I said this and they go, yeah, you're amazing. And she said, you know, you're socially rewarded for that. And you, you know, you, you look up at all the people who are having, who are having these kind of arguments and you want to be like them. So you, you know, you copy them and you, and you enjoy their praise when you also go out there proselytizing for anti-vax beliefs. I found that example fascinating, you know, especially now in the middle of a global pandemic where we are seeing people literally risking their lives for what you point out is sort of a form of status. It was really interesting to sort of see what the, the loss of status does to people who no longer perhaps believe, you know, they can see that perhaps a vaccination might not be a bad thing, but it's very hard to change your mind. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I came across a really interesting phrase by an anthropologist who, who, who described beliefs as our criteria for claiming status. Mm. And it, it, he, he was describing he, he was an anthropologist who was active in the 70s and he was in West Africa and was, was writing about the rise of Islamism and how, you know, Islam became a really powerful status game essentially there because it was a way that, that, that young people could, could get significant status. And it was the only way in, in some senses. And I thought that was just a really interesting idea, our, our, our criteria for claiming status and that's what beliefs are and you can tell they are because when when we have these kind of sacred beliefs that that kind of define our status game like vaccination is a terrible conspiracy and it's a big farmer thing when we encounter somebody that, that says you're wrong we mark them down we go no you're an idiot you know it's all in the language and you feel ah oh. and then when we meet somebody that we agree with we think oh you're great you know we, we raise them up and, and those beliefs you know when they become sacred they become our criteria for claiming status and especially if, if we've, been, we've been out there in the world war, you know being a warrior for them we've pinned our status to those beliefs being true so it's very very hard to get people to relinquish those beliefs because Status is really important to people. It's a fundamental human need. And, you know, when we when we loudly attach our identity to, to, to a set of beliefs, it's very hard to it's humiliating you know, to, 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 to turn away from that. So, so you know, so, so you see what happens in one of the ramifications of that is we've got this insane global pandemic we're two years into it and the anti-vax movement seems more stronger than ever you know rather than rather than being sort of diminished in any way and from that explanation does it also sort of explain in a way the toxicity of public discourse at the moment you know whether it's brexit or donald trump when he when he was in power it, are people sort of seeing alternative opinions as somehow a challenge to their status of course, yeah. I mean, so, 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 so the way to think about this, I think, is that there are two categories of belief. There, there, there's the 99% of beliefs, which we don't argue about, like the length of the Mississippi River and, you know, the, 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 you know, the, the cost of a San Pellegrino. You know, it's, 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 there are things that we don't argue about. But there's a small category of b- b- beliefs that drive us mad. And, and those beliefs are the ones we've attached our status to. They're, they're the ones that define our status game. And, and that's why I think we become so furious about them, because when somebody they're those beliefs, when somebody attacks it, especially publicly, especially and especially a high status public person, it maddens us because we feel that our, you know, our criteria for claiming status has been is being denied. And if that's being denied, then they're saying that we don't deserve status. So in the same way that somebody's political beliefs is the same way that somebody's sacred religious beliefs, if they're attacked, they might feel offended and wounded and furious. And, you know, one of the 
researchers in in human violence that that that, that I that I academics that I quote in the book, he's not talking about this. But he's talking about literal physical violence, and 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 he talks about the most violent men he's ever met. That there's this constant refrain of people feeling humiliated and and, and kind of turning that humiliation into pride with acts of violence. But we see that too in on social media in with with, with other forms of aggression, bullying, ostracization. You know, so-called cancel culture when someone tries when they try to get people punished in their actual lives with the removal of status and jobs and, and this, that, and the other. You know, these are acts of dominance. You know, that's the dominance game. So yeah, it is, and it's you know, it's it's very close to physical violence because it's that same instinct of you you're attacking my claim to status and the own, and I'm and I'm going to transform this humiliation into the feeling of pride by attacking you back. And of course, it just ratchets up and ratchets up and ratchets up because then. The other person does it back to you, and and I, and I think we see that a lot. I mean, that that we see that so much on social media. And for the person who's the victim of a pile on, I mean, is that the ultimate in sort of losing status overnight, or you know, how do you have to reclaim it? How how, how does that work? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean it's, it, obviously it's, it, it's very difficult, but 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 of course, you know, status games being being what they are, we've we, we've now got this kind of anti cancel cancel culture status games where you know authors or whoever's been cancelled will get celebrated and raised by these people, and suddenly they're more famous than they've ever been, and they're selling more books than they ever have. So so so, so you know, it, 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 it's. Yes, I mean it's obviously extremely painful, especially for for people who lose their jobs, especially for you know, people like academics who actually end up having to leave their universities. I mean, I, you know, it, 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 I mean it must be extremely extremely painful and and frightening. And yeah, and and it's you know it, it, for me it's pure status play. I mean that, that that's what's going on here. Is it, it's um it, 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 people 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 are challenged the sacred beliefs of one group of people and they're taking revenge and making themselves feel statusful by, you know, pulling that person down. And in terms of status play, you know, I was really fascinated because you sort of, you take it on anthropologically, really. We're looking at sort of how tribes and people react. How do we tend to react to people who are gaining status above us, who are sort of doing better than us, you know, swaggering around (laughs) in charge of things. Talk us through that. Yeah, we don't, well, we don't, we have a very, very ambivalent relationship to high status people. So the first, so the the, the main thing to understand is that we evolved in, in relatively small groups and relatively, you know, they call them egalitarian, but they're egalitarian in, in the sense that all the members of the, of the groups we evolved in were really interested in their own status. So, that, so there were lots of check, checks and balances that, to make sure people didn't get too high. So they ended up quite egalitarian. But of course, these days we don't have that world. You know, so, so we have these huge status games, massive differentials between top and the bottom. So we're, we're, we're kind of maddened in the modern world by, by relative status. And, and indeed, scientists find you know, tall poppy syndrome wherever they look in the world. It's cross-cultural, this idea of pulling down the tall, pop, tall poppy. Um, in, in one um, neuroscience experiment, they put people in a brain scanner and they read a story about somebody successful, beautiful and popular. And they saw the, 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 the areas of the brain that are associated with pain become more activated. And then when they read about this person suffering a fall, the, the areas that act, associated with pleasure became activated. <laughs> so that, that's human nature. But, it, but, 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 but there is a small kind of, yeah, I know that there is, a, but that's because status is relative and the more status other people have, the less we have in comparison. But there's a small kind of, you know, pocket of people that are exe- exempt from this and these are the people that are kind of that, that we latch onto as almost like super statusful versions of us that they're the celebrities artists leaders that that, that, that that we subconsciously think 
I want to be this person. They're, you know, they're a piece of me. And, and those are the people that we kind of hero worship. We, you know, they, we, we make celebrities of them. And, you know, what, what, what researchers find is that we, that, that we start copying them. We start copying their beliefs and behavior. We, 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 we start flattering them. And, and, they, and the argument is that the reason we flatter these people is because we, it's a bribe. We're bribing them with status so we can be near them. And, and, and all the better to copy them, so we can get become high status too. So, so, so you know, of course, you know, th- these are these are ancient evolving evolved instincts that that were there to want make us want to become a great honey finder or a great sorcerer or whatever it was. But now, of course, it, they've kind of in these in these feedback loops that create these huge celebrities. I mean, you know, we've, we, we, the, 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 the news is full of um, you know, I was going to say, yes. Canu, the, the, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and of course, you know that's a success mm. game. You know, you know, she's everyone's kind of going yes about her because you know she, she has proved extreme competence in in the, the game of popping a ball over a net. It's kind of weird when you think about it, but that's how obsessed we are with status and competent status. We, we can make a game of anything, and she she has given status to our nation. So people who are proud of being British are applauding her and going yes because they've given that she's. Uh, She's provided them with status, and equally, you know, a political argument is made. She comes from a from, from an immigrant, fa- you know, extended immigrant family, I think, or an immigrant family. So that's a, so. So yeah, she's also our hero because she shows that diversity is fantastic and a, and a boon. So, so so that's why she's being applauded because it's you know she, she she's in the book. I argue that successful groups are status generating machines, and successful leaders and celebrities are too. They're they're they're, they're status generating machines. So she's generated status for the nation and for certain political arguments, and so people love her for that. I mean, she is she is unusual in that you know, and here's hoping it lasts. You know, she's been universally praised, and it's rather lovely to see everyone's really behind her. But you know, as you point out in the book, I loved what you described as the Prince Charles paradox. <laughs> That's not often the way we yes. react. I mean, talk us through that. So, so she's the exception, and and, and you know, it's very fragile. We we know this. It's very fragile, and she's going to find it's very fragile when you become super famous like that. It's why the Queen doesn't have any political views, isn't it? Because you've got to. In order to stay high status, you've got to just shut your mouth and do nothing but smile, you know, because we're so chippy about high status people. And yeah, so the Prince Charles paradox, I was trying to kind of work out there's a puzzle of uh, because Prince Charles is both high status and low status at the same time like he's our future king you can't go near him without without showing how high status he is by saying your highness and you know moving your body in such a way to literally lower yourself in his presence I mean that's that's the status game right there and yet I think he's got something like a I think when I wrote the book it was like a 50% approval rating he's not very well particularly well liked by the general public and I think that's you know that's an accident of our kind of uh, our history as a species. We've evolved to play status games, you know, in our minds. You know, status is given by the people, and we we award it with attention, and we we allow them to influence us, uh, and, and we allow people high status people to make decisions. You know, but but when we started settling down and we started you know creating institutions, we formalised the status games in in titles, and you know elite. You know, certain groups became elite groups, and and they they became royal groups. Uh, 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 you know, groups who kind of violently conquered other nations became elite groups. So, so you have these. So we started formalising the status game in titles, and so you have these kind of two conflicting status games at once. There's the formal one. So Prince Charles is very high in formal status, but he's not that high in true status, which is the stuff that 
you know, sits in other people's heads and is awarded freely and voluntarily. And, and, and I think that's what maddens, you know, it hasn't obviously maddened Prince Charles as far as we know, but in some of the kind of worst examples like Stalin, yeah. you know, the, the, these people who are very high status formally, but they can sense they're not that, you know, that people actually don't think that about them really. And it can drive people to very, you know, leaders to very dark places because they get extremely paranoid about what's my real, uh, you know, <laughs> what's my real level of status? I don't think it's, I don't think it's this. Well, you know, having looked at it anthropologically and having looked at so many examples of people who do well and, and how people react to them, what are, what are the secrets? If you want to be successful, but also liked, how, how do you do it? <laughs> Well, um, so that, I, that, that was a question I became interested in. And, and you know, I, I, I looked at the, there's, there's, there's a whole um, area of psychology. I think they call it optimal presentation. And it was interesting because when you were looking on, I was looking at the debates and the arguments between the, the, these psychologists. What they were saying kind of co- cohered with those three status games really well. So, so, so um, there's, a, there's a very famous psychologist called Professor Susan Fisk, and she talks about warmth and competence. And there's a, a, another another psychologists argue that, that as well um, sincerity is really important uh, and perhaps the most important so that's the argument but but all three of those are, are c- you know coincide and cohere with with the, with the three status goes perfectly well so when you're when you're warm to people you say i'm not going to come at you in dominance i'm not going you know that's what you're signaling sub- subconsciously i'm not going to come to come at you in dominance i'm not going to force you to to respect me we're going to have a, a prestigious relationship when you're sincere you're saying you know i'm I'm going to be a virtuous person. I'm, I'm not going to, you know, f- you know, f- flatter you or lie to you. I'm going to be sincere. When there's a problem, I'm going to tell you there's a problem. But when you've done something amazing, I'm going to tell you that you that you're amazing. And then finally, of course, competence is. I'm, I'm going to be useful to the group. I've got I've got a set of skills here that that's going to be useful, and, and I'm going to raise the status of the group. So I think those three: warmth, sincerity, and competence. Obviously, easier said than done. But if we but it, but it, but if we can have those, yeah, that that, that that kind of perfect triumvirate of qualities. If you go into a social social situation signaling warmth sincerity and competence it's hard to know how you're going to lose really and is it is it possible in a world that is it turns out status led is it possible to be happy yeah, it is. I mean, it, it, of course, it's, it's possible uh, possible to be to, 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 to be happy. Although, you know, th- th- there's lots of genetics going on with whether people are actually happy or not. You always forced lots to strive in their for upbringing. more. Is it? You know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so, so I think you know, but I, I think the one thing we haven't talked about is connection. You know, you've got to connect into status games, and connection is a separate need, belongingness, and that's also really important, and also a separate major source of happiness. But status it doesn't really make us happy. It makes us happy in the yeah, let me back up a bit. State, lack of status can make us extremely unhappy. You know, if, if, if we're deprived of status, especially if we're deprived of status suddenly, we've been, we can become suicidal even. It's also bad for our physical health. If we get become deranked, we're low in the ranking. You know, uh, you know uh, it, it, there's lots of evidence that, that it's actually bad for our physical health. We, we die earlier, we get more sick. But, but status can never make us perfectly happy because... You can't own status. You can't have put your status in a box and go, that's my status. It's always under threat. Like the, the highest status person in the world can go on Twitter and be insulted. And it can ruin their morning. So, that, so there's always this anxiety about status, no matter how famous we get. We always want a bit more. And indeed, when psychologists try to find when our need for status levels out, unlike other things like power, it doesn't level out. There's no place in which our desire for status levels out. So, so, so that's why... 
so, so that's why you, I think you get these very famous people, powerful leaders, celebrities um, who just, just become a bit insane because they're acclimatized to their level of status, which is mental in, in the first place. It's you know crazy, the level of status they've got. And they go, yeah, well, I want, I want a bit more. And, and, and they want more and more and more. And they end up doing crazy things like I think it was Madonna or Kanye West in the book that, that, that was in a dressing room and demanded that, the, that they thought the carpet was bumpy. So that, and they demanded it was taken out and ironed. The carpet was ironed. <laughs> before they would use the dressing room you start getting behavior like that which is really i mean that is a real show of i am the boss here you will do as i say it's gone way too far yes yeah (laughs) if if you want to be happier should you sort of hang out with people who are of a similar status or people who are you know better more talented more successful than you because it forces you to strive or or are you happier with with people who you sort of think are are looking up to you in a way because I i was fascinated by a story in your book about about a prisoner. Tell us a bit yes, about that. Yeah, Ben, ben yeah. Gunn. Yeah, so so that's how the story, the book begins. Really, is, is this this guy Ben Gunn that I met about ten years ago? Now, he was had a very troubled upbringing, childhood, and he was in care. And he he, he was fourteen, and he had an eleven year old friend, and they escaped from the care home, and they had a they had a falling out, and and he he he, he just sort of snapped and then sadly beat this young boy to death and was um at the age of 14 years old was was sent to prison at her majesty's pleasure and he ended up being one of the the prisoners who served the longest period in prison in 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 british history i think or certainly at the time when he was in and there were there were campaigns for his release because it was seen as unfair that he was in for so long and so his story really was that he you know he got to prison of course has no status at all he's a child killer he's a life you know he's a lifer and initially he was just in hell he would he tried to starve himself to death he tried to escape but but slowly he started finding ways to earn status so he began educating himself and he and he specifically in prison law in in, in the legalities of the prison service because because he wanted to fight back against what he saw as the kind of petty tyranny of the of the regime and he became, you know, what you know, what's known as the prison lawyer. So, so, so prisoners would come to him for help when they were in trouble, and, and he became a real thorn in the side of the authorities because he knew the law better than they did. You know, he could he could walk them around in, in circles, and that's why he was never released because he was his, he, he was a, he was known as a troublemaker, and, and he just infuriated the prison service so much they refused to release him. And then he falls in love. You know, uh, he, uh, th- 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 this woman called Alex who comes in as an English teacher, and they fall in love, and they're having sex in stationary cupboards. <laughs> And he's secretly phoning. Not her. sure that's how prison's supposed to and, work. Um, he says, <laughs> no, 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 no. Her, her surname isn't included in the book. Her request for that reason. Yeah, and she, and you know, and and she's like, look, all you've got to do is behave. Literally, just behave for six months. You'll be out on parole. Everyone's campaigning for your release. I've got a cottage in the Cotswolds. It's beautiful. You can come and live with me. And so, what could be better than that? And but he wouldn't do it. And he finally had to admit to her. I don't want to be released. So he's gone from being in absolute hell to not wanting to leave prison. And and I think, you know, what the prison officers told him was correct. He had status in prison. He said to me, as a lifer, you're at the top already of, this, of the status game of prison. But as the prison lawyer, he, he was really valued and he was a really important individual. And, you know, in a genius move, Alex said to him, well, why don't you um, start a blog? So he started writing a blog called Prisoner Ben. 
and it won an Orwell Prize. So, so, so he started to get a bit of status outside of prison, and that's what kind of coaxed him out. But even that wasn't enough. And when I met him, he was, you know, he, he was having an extremely hard time. He, he basically had a nervous breakdown because, because, you know, as he said, you know, you're someone. I was someone in there, and out here, I don't know who I am. I don't know what I am. I've got nothing. So, 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 so that, that to me was just a really interesting and revealing story about what what does the human brain do. You know, when it's just thrown into a prison, well, you know, if if it's a, if it's a successful one, it does what Ben does, and it finds a status game to play. And of course, you know, the negative version of that is is, is that lots of people in prison, you know, the, the status games can be in, in gangs, and, and that's another way of earning status. So, you know, that's why lots of young people, young men, uh, you know, drawn to gangs, especially you know, young people from low socio low socioeconomic groups, because. They're in a place where status is hard to find, and if and if you're growing up in an environment where the most status you can find is in the low, is in the gang, you're gonna you know lots of those young men unfortunately are going to join those gangs because it's a, it's a fundamental human need. They're not being naughty; they're they're, they're fulfilling a, 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 an innate and fundamental drive they have. Intelligence Squared is a tight knit team doing big things. And it means we're always looking for tools that can help streamline managing tasks. That's why I want to talk to you for a minute about NetSuite. NetSuite provides cloud-based software to get things moving. Maybe your business has been humming, but you can feel things are falling behind a little bit. Or perhaps your team is getting snowed with manual tasks and closing those books is taking forever. If this sounds like you, you should know these three numbers. 37,000, 25, 1. 37,000, that's the number of businesses which have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. 25, NetSuite turns 25 this year. That's 25 years of helping businesses do more with less, allowing them to close their books in days, not weeks, and drive down costs. And one, because your business is one of a kind. So you get a customized solution for all of your KPIs in one efficient system with one source of truth. It means you can manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. It's everything you need to grow all in one place. NetSuite is now making an unprecedented offer to make more of that kind of thing possible. Right now, you can download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com squared. That's netsuite.com squared to get your own KPI checklist. netsuite.com squared. This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. Now, I am going to move on to questions from the audience in just a minute, but I just wanted to ask one of the things you talk about in the book, which I think was, is really fascinating and feels very timely, is what happens when you don't get the recognition or the reward that status confers. You know, I was really interested in some of the, 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 the stuff you'd written about incels, for example, incel culture. Yes, incel mm. culture. So yeah, there's a chapter on, but basically on humiliation. Uh, and uh, w w what I realised as I was doing my research was that, you know, one of my tests for myself was, okay, if you're going to argue status is so important, it must be pretty bad when, when we lose it. So, so is it? 
And, and so, so, I, so I started reading literature on humiliation. And humiliation is designed not just as the removal of all your status, but the removal of the ability to claim it ever in the future in that group, in that game. You know, you're gone. So it's a, you know, it's a, and everybody fears humiliation. It's dreadful uh, experience. And it ties together all kinds of horrific, you know, the, the worst of human nature, everything from honor killings to serial killers to uh, even up to genocide has humiliation, you know, uh, associated with it. And, and it's certainly uh, it's certainly relevant to kind of incels who have this kind of entitled expectation that women will you know, date them uh, for, want of a, for want of a better phrase and become so infuriated and feel so humiliated when they're rejected again and again and again that they, they turn against women and they become misogynists. And, you know, the, the, the extra kind of element, and I talk in detail about Elliot Rogers, who's one of these, you know, very misogynist incels who ended up killing a bunch of people. Uh, the, the most dangerous are narcissistic in the first place. So, so when you look at people like Elliot Rogers or the serial killer Ed Kemper, they're, they're unbelievable narcissists. They're, you know, they're, they're actually smart people they are grandiose to the extreme they, they completely believe that they deserve everything they deserve to be at the top and life at the bottom you know being bullied and humiliated is intolerable to them so you know you see this with in cells but but also you know school, school shooters you know one study found 80 percent of school shooters that, that they have been bullied and humiliated in their childhoods so obviously it's not to excuse them in any sense it's just to explain humiliation is really painful men are often really violent and if you put humiliation narcissism and uh, men together very often very bad things happen I'm going to move on now to the questions from the audience. We're getting loads of them. I, I don't want to say, I want to try and get through as many as possible. It's um, not a yeah. reflection of your status. If I don't get there, it's just me running out of time. <laughs> the first question from the audience is from Maud, who says, how do you account for individuals who appear to have opted out of the status game? You know, for example, parents, usually mothers, who choose not to advance their careers in order to spend more time bringing up their children. Well, well, there's a couple of things to say about that. The, 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 the first thing is that I, 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 I don't think there really is an opting out of the status game. You know, we can play all kinds of status games, and and you know, lots of mothers want to want to uh, be seen as good mothers, and you know, and the clue is in good. You know, we don't just we're happy being mothers. We want to be good mothers, and we want to be. And you can just go on Mum's Net and see people, you know warring over who, who, who's got the best advice on this that or the other uh, the second thing to say is, is is that i think parents mothers or fathers who do who, or who do you know leave their careers in order to raise children sometimes they, they, they suffer sometimes they find that life kind of quite depressing and i think one of the reasons is to do with you know that they've suddenly lost their status they've lost their that, that identity but perhaps more importantly you know the, the status game is a, is a description of social life um it, it's one of the ways that we've solved the problem of survival and reproduction and, and of course family is a different one Fa family is a separate way that we've solved survival and reproduction so so you know when we go into the social world we're playing status games but because that's you know earn status more survival and reproduction but of course in a family that's all about survival and reproduction so 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 so, so yeah i mean fa family is a, is a separate but obviously no no less valid part of human life it's just one i'm not describing in the different book. form of status yeah. Why do this is a, another question from the audience? Why do people risk ruining their position in the status game by speaking out against the an orthodoxy? For example, J.K. Rowling defending the use of the term "woman." How does that fit in with your your description of the status game? 
Well, you've got to understand we're playing multiple status games at once. So, so, so J.K. Rowling is also is obviously playing the game of I'm, a, I'm an author, and she's right at the top of that game. But she's also playing other games, and she, she, she's playing a political game. And, and you know, she, she has a history of I, I, I think I'm right in saying she, you know, she, she suffered from domestic abuse from, from in, in an early marriage. So she's got she's got some sacred beliefs about womanhood and the nature of womanhood, and they, and they, and they are those kinds of beliefs that we were talking about earlier on they're her criteria for claiming status and that's not a negative thing i think it's a positive thing so so so, so that's a separate that's a kind of political kind of gender status game she's playing with you know presumably she's got friends and peers that believe the same things and and talk to each other so 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 so, so in that instance you know that belief that she has that sacred belief is powerful enough that she will risk status in another domain by you know, going out and warring for that belief. So, 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 so yeah, I, I think the answer is that we, we're all, we all play multiple games. And, you know, whenever you, whenever you're in the realm of kind of a sacred belief and it, when something sacred, whether it's a belief or a flag or whatever, that's where we, we are most kind of vulnerable to behaving in perhaps, it, you know, ways that, that, that are kind of perhaps extreme or threaten our livelihoods because they're really, really important to us. They're core to our identity, those kinds of beliefs. We've got a question here from Stella who says, firstly, thanks very much for doing this and I loved Selfie. But like I want to get that in. Great. Thank you, Stella. <laughs> Thank you, Stella. Um, is it possible or productive to try to convince someone playing a prestige game that they are motivated by a desire for status rather than moral virtue? I mean, that sounds like an awkward conversation, but um, <laughs> how would you approach that? <laughs> yeah, well, I, again, I, I, I think it's really to, uh, to, to, you know, I, I think you just got to understand the history of our species and, uh, and this idea that, you know, morality is, a, I'm quoting an academic here, uh, but m- morality is a device for solving the problems of cooperation. How do you get sometimes selfish animals to work together in cooperation? So we have moral- morals and we reward people that cooperate and we you know, degrade and punish people that, that don't cooperate. So, you know, morality is, is, you know, is the best, but it's also the worst of us. But it's also a status game. You've only got to go to a church and see how we treat priests and bishops yeah. and we call them your holiness and things like this. You know, we, you know, we, th- there are such things as moral superstars and, you know, they're everywhere. So, 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 so yeah, I, I think it's, I, I think it's hard to argue. We've got a question here from Layla who asks, Many middle-class parents these days seem obsessed with helping their children achieve status. Is that something you see as positive? Oh, well, that, that, is, that, that, that is a good question. Uh, it, obviously within limits. I, I, I think, so, so in Selfie, I, I wrote about, you know, I wrote a bit about suicide. And I remember it, it there writing about South Korea, because South Korea is the most westernised East Asian kind of Confucian culture. And there they have this kind of worst of all worlds where they still have this imperative to raise the status of the family so be a great student not shame your parents be a good boy or girl but but also they've got that western success money wealth bling culture and they've got one of the most one of the highest suicide rates in the world so 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 i think i think that's that that's when the status pursuit especially in children can go wrong and you can put so much pressure on your children that it becomes you know devastating and in in the status game i was about the hikikomori in japan who who, who suffer in similar ways uh, but i think for parents I think the important thing is to understand, you know, if you can think in terms of status games and think in terms of, okay, you know, 
what is that game my child could play that they can be quite good at, that they can earn a bit of competence in? And it might not be being rich. It might not be being a lawyer or a doctor. It could be being a great gardener. It doesn't matter. You know, you don't have to be rich to be, to be, to, to, to have a life of meaning. You, you need to be earning status. And, and you can do that by, you know, volunteering at the Samaritans or, you know, so there are all, you know, the good news is there are all different kinds of ways that we can earn status and earning status from being a great gardener is no worse than any stage of being a multimillionaire like lawyer or something. You know, it's, it's all uh, underneath it. It's all status. So, so, so yeah, I, I think that's sort of the good news for parents from this. It's, it's, it's that I, I, we don't have to put huge pressure on our children to be rich or to be world tennis champions or whatever it is. You know, you, you've just got to find what they're good at and get them playing that game. Find your niche and make that your game. I mean, yeah. um, that actually links very closely to the next question we've got, which says, can we remove ourselves from the status game and still lead happy lives? Is that possible? Can you ever, as a human being, not no. <laughs> not playing a status game? <laughs> no, no. So, I mean, because I mean, we're social animals and, and, and this, is baked, this is millions of years of evolution. And in the terms of prestige, tens of thousands of years of evolution. It's how we pass reality. It's like when you, if you put a, you know, a lemon in a, in a food mixer and turn it on, it's going to do something. And if you put reality into a human brain, it's going to do something. And that thing is status games. So, you know, the, the only people that really try and opt out of it are the Hikikomori of Japan, who just shut themselves in a room. But, but but even then, if they're on the internet, they're going to be comparing themselves and playing computer games, comparing themselves to How other people. How long do they do that for? Um, <laughs> Well, years in wow. some cases. And sometimes they die in those rooms. They're not happy people. And there, there was a very telling study that somebody did. I think they were in the Netherlands. Where the psychologists um, uh, looked at 3,700 practices of mindfulness meditation. And these people were specifically practicing to reduce what they called ego needs and the desire for success. And they found these people measured very high in scores of what they called spiritual superiority. <laughs> so, so, so they're walking around, they were walking around thinking, well, if what, one of the things they believe was if only everybody else had the insights I had, yeah. the world would be a better place. And it's kind of funny, but it's also completely, you just, you just know it because it's human nature. If you discover mindfulness meditation and you get quite good at it and, and it starts working for you you feel quite good about yourself and you start looking down your nose a little bit at the people who don't have the insights you have and that's because it's in us you, you know it's just it's just human nature so, so so that's the thing you can't opt out but there are there are infinite games you can play you know you don't you know you can play the mindfulness meditation game and become a great meditator uh, but, but or, or you can you know try and be a you know kind of go for wealth or political power or, or even political prestige with your twitter followers you can you know go and I shout at JK Rowling and get status that way. So, um, you know, yeah, there, there are all, there, there's no opting out, but, but there are infinite games that we can choose to play. Well, on that subject, Martin asks, can anyone ultimately win the status game? <laughs> no, is the simple answer is no. So, so, so there was there's some really telling study. There, there, I found this fascinating study of uh, it was only twelve people, so a very small study. But somehow these psychologists had, had found twelve unnamed but globally famous superstars to interview about the experience of being famous. And so, of course, these people have got, got enormous status, status beyond that the level that we've evolved to to enjoy. And there was just a there was just a predictable pattern with it. Where initially it was just amazing. They, you know, one of the one of the quotes was suddenly I mattered. People are honking their horns, shouting my name, and then it all starts going wrong. You know, so so, so the first thing that happens is that um, 
that their friends stop wanting to hang around with them after a while because they're so high in status. They make their friends feel just like, oh, I'm just a chump from school. So they go away and then they're surrounded by people who just want something. They want their own status from them, some money or whatever, or so, you know, proximity. So they become really paranoid. Uh, and and th- th- then it starts going to their head. And they, they, some of them talk really honestly about how, you know, I think the phrase is something like people start kissing your ass and you you start to um, believe you're the kind of person who deserves to have their ass kissed. And and one of that's the most dangerous part of fame because you start to be that person. You know, power is a form of showing our status. So you you do things like make try and get your carpet ironed in your your dressing room. Some poor bastard's got iron your carpet. And and then ultimately, very tellingly, at the very end, they were saying, you know, people, they they, they were saying things like, people just don't understand me. Millions of people, one of the quotes is, millions of people love me for what I do, but none of them love me for who I am. So it's like, I've got all this success state Status, but I want virtue status too. I want people to love me for who I am. So, so they still want more status. So, 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 and I think that's that, that's a kind of you know in a kind of perverse way. That, that's always almost like a comfort to us normal people, because even those people at the Madonna yeah. Heights, they ain't happy, you know. And it's because they're, they're never gonna, you know, you never win. You, you never win the status game. You can't win it it's because you always want more. So, so no, you can't. <laughs> I, I think the way to win is to, is to live a life if you, if you can arrange it of, of gradually climbing status. I, I think that's the, that's the kind of perfect life where it just gradually climbs up. So every few months, you get on a little bump. I think it's probably impossible, but that's the, if you want happiness and status, that's the life to. I mean, you do for, give some interesting tips in the book about sort of how to manage your desires. I suppose you know, at the end, there are sort of like little lessons. Uh, I, I guess it would it would be useful to hear some of those. Yeah. Okay. So, 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 one of them that I, that I say is to kind of you know, reduce your moral sphere, but by, by which I mean. You know, the, the, the easiest way, probably the easy, yeah, the easiest way to gain status is by morally judging people. You know, in our minds or with our friends, we, we can make ourselves feel relatively statusful by saying this person is, uh, uh, you know, gossiping about them. And, and you know, so the Internet, social media is toxic because of this, because it's such an easy way of gaining status. And especially if you, if you actually go out there and, and attack those people and everyone, all your friends are cheering you on. And I think that's that becomes really unhealthy healthy really quickly so so it's this idea of reducing your moral severe and, and thinking more about your own moral and virtuous behavior than other people's as difficult as that can be very often so uh, you know I, I think that's a, that, that that's an important one yeah and, and the, the other one is, is is to is to resist using dominance you know we, we think of dominance status from dominance you know that's that's what a gangster does or a soldier but we all do that all the time you know tutting and sighing and shouting at people in call centers and I, I, I think it's I, I just think it's you know really useful as a as a, as a rule as a, is to try and resist those small moments of dominance that we that we pepper throughout our days often with strangers and replace them with small moments of prestige because the great thing about status is it's free it doesn't cost us anything we've got unlimited quantities to give to people and you know and I think if we if we become the kind of person that's more likely to reflexively give status than dominant you know prestige and dominance our reputations will go up and we'll be happier and and so, so I think that's another, another another sort of little tip that is, as, you, as you you know go through those airport security queues and you oh, to just try and smile and be nice and you know and everyone benefits <laughs> Everyone benefits, exactly. We've got, a, yeah. we've got a question here from Darius who asks, has writing the book made you more negative about human nature? Such a good question. Are you more cynical about human nature now? <laughs> 
Do you know what? I, you would think so, but I'm actually not. I, 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 you know, because of what I said before, you know, I, I think when I came into this, it was it felt a bit cynical. But but but, you know, we are the only animal that has this automatic reward system for, you know, celebrating. You know, the fact that we're making celebrities of the, of the women who invented AstraZeneca vaccine is brilliant. That, that's exactly what we should be doing. You know, and I'm not suggesting that that's why they're doing it. I, you know, status is about your peer group. I, I imagine they're motiv- they've been motivated throughout their careers by impressing their peers and the, you know, the, the, the vaccine experts, I don't know what you call them, you know, above them and, and, and getting all those academic plaudits. They never wanted to be celebrities, I'm sure. But the fact that we're making them celebrities is brilliant. That, that's, that's fantastic. That's the best of human nature. Of course, it also leads us into dark places too. But but I'm, I'm yeah I, I, I'm much you know I'm much less negative about things like you know celebrating these people now than perhaps I would have been before. And, and it's also made me understand the other side of the political aisle a bit better too. You know I'm a lefty and I've always been a lefty, but it's really made me understand nationalistic Britons who are people that I always you know in a really unfair way just dismissed as racists. I was one of these people that you see a St George's flag and go oh it's a racist living there, and it's really forced me to understand. That's their, you know, that flag is their criteria for claiming status. They're proud of, just because you're not proud of being English, doesn't mean that they're not allowed to be. It doesn't make, make them racist. So, so it's definitely made me much more empathetic to people to understand my status games and my criteria for claiming status. And that just because somebody else has different criteria, it doesn't mean they're wrong. Another recommendation for, for reading the book. We've got a question here from Rene in Sao Paulo. Hello, Sao Paulo. I know. Wow. <laughs> who asks? Who asks? What happened in some countries that being stupid is suddenly a sign of high status? Explain that. <laughs> uh, uh, are we are we talking about like Donald Trump? I mean, now? Renee doesn't specify, but I assume okay. I assume that's where this is going. <laughs> or maybe 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 yeah, closer to home. That's a case in point. If we're not in in the status game of that so-called stupid person, we will dismiss them. We will derank them. That word "stupid" is status play. It's deranking them. It's saying you're at the bottom. You're you're beneath contempt. You're, 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 I'm above you. But but to the to the people in you know who, who they're talking to, who who are kind of you know in their status game, who, who, they all they all be see that stupid person will be seen as somebody that is not part of that awful elite and not part of the educated elite that is that is unfairly ruling the country. And they speak to people like me. They understand my problems. You know, they're proud of America. They're proud of Britain, perhaps. So, so you know, that, that's the thing about, I mean, you know, the, 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 the really interesting thing about status games is that they really do bend and change our perception. And, you know, we're very good at turning people who are in other status games into, into villains, either they're evil or they're stupid. And often it's just not the case. It's just that they are literally experiencing a different world to you with different different rules, different symbols, different beliefs. And, you know, they're, they're kind of clashing. Is it about giving status to, you know, that horribly overused phrase, but the left behind? Is that what sort of fueled a lot of this political yeah, movement? I, yeah, I think, I, I definitely think so. I mean, you know, we, this, is, this, is, this is what's got to kind of open my eyes to it. And I, I did write a bit, a bit about this in Selfie too. And the, the, this idea that, that, that you can go around as I have done, did for many years, just just just, just declaring white national, you know, white, white people who are proud of England as being racists and using phrases like deplorables, and 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 not expect them to become angry about it because that, because I'm I'm literally attacking their status. I'm just rejecting them and saying you're beneath contempt, and th- th- there's always going to be a pushback. And of course, there's been the great political change in the left since the since the civil rights era, where you know for for, for a million 
good reasons. We began to focus on the rights of minorities, sexual minorities, racial minorities, and, and, and in the left, we began to focus on, on on those people. But we left behind the working class. We stopped caring about the working class, and they have noticed. You know, they, 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 they understand that that, they, that, that, that that there's a whole class of people, educate, especially educated people, that really look down their nose at them and, don't, and just don't care about them. So, so. Uh, you know, we're not going, uh, you know, uh, uh, as hard as it is for, for lots of people apparently to understand, you know, we need to make everybody feel valued. We need to make everybody feel important. And that includes people like the white working class who might have voted for Trump or, or Brexit. Uh, and until we do, the, the, you know, we, we, I think division is going get, to get worse and worse because people need to feel valued it's a, as i said it's a fundamental human need and that goes for everybody no matter their color their gender you know their socioeconomic background well that sort of links to another question we've received from the audience which says is status a zero-sum game does one person's status have to go down for another person's status to rise well you know it's, it, it, that's a really sort of nuanced question like i, I it kind of goes like this if somebody that we, that we know suddenly rises in status, we're going to feel bad. You know, it is relative in that sense, but it's not necessarily zero sum. So, so, so a healthy status game is one in which people are, people feel free to award status, and 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 people are saying you're brilliant. No, you're brilliant. And I didn't write about it in the book, but but in my with my journalist hat on, I, I did a story a couple of years ago. Or longer now on the on CrossFit. I don't know if you know what CrossFit is. It's this kind of it's like a cult thing, but for keep fit people <laughs> and people who do I CrossFit mean, are, are, are just insanely obsessed <laughs> with. Yeah, yes, they're, they're, you know they're they're insane about CrossFit. You know they will tell you about CrossFit. They're they're just obsessed with they have tattoos and all sorts. And and what CrossFit is is just a really positive status game. So you go to your CrossFit once or twice a week, and everybody is there cheering you on. It's pure status all the way. And people get addicted to it because, you know, with every little, um, you know, improvement they make, it's, everyone's clapping them and cheering them. So that's not a zero sum game. That's a really healthy status game. And, and in the book, I write about the opposite of that, which is a company like, say, Enron. Uh, you know, so, so, so a really unhealthy status game is one in which jealous status is not freely awarded. So people start guarding it really jealously and, and, and behaving in quite aggressive ways. And, and in Enron, famously had that had a, what they called a, a rank and yank system where the top say 15% all got pay rises the bottom 15% got sacked and in the middle they were just scared and that was Enron <laughs> you know that's how it worked and, and and that is a really unhealthy status game you know b- because that is a zero sum game you know if you go because I don't want to be in that dog box from 15% so, so so status is relative but that doesn't necessarily mean it's a zero sum game have to be We've probably just got time for one more question. Um, We've got one here that says, do you believe that humans are always in some way playing a status game and are never motivated by compassion or empathy or a genuine desire for social justice? Yeah, well, it's mixed. You know, so, so, so yes, of course... You know, we want other things as well as status. So, so you might, you, you will have a people will have a genuine desire for, so, for for social justice, just as the people who invented the AstraZeneca, AstraZeneca vaccine are also motivated because they're just fascinated by 
the, the science and they're, they're nerdishly obsessed with it. So that's, that's another form of pleasure. So it's not pure status. But, but again, if you look back at the history of humanity and if you look at the, the, the reasons why we evolved you know, morality in the first place, it's a reward and punishment system for getting people to cooperate. So, so, so there's always that going on as well. You know, people who are motivated to, for, on the path of social justice are celebrated. So, so th- and that's the clue, you know. So it's not all status. I'm definitely not saying that. But, but, but status is like the machinery that, that kind of runs underneath it all and helps it, helps, helps it kind of motor along. Is that along. how you, you pick your, your status game? You, know, you might pick a compassionate one rather than a money-making one. Well, I, I think so much of that is down to genes and I think it's down to parenting and, and especially kind of peer group. You know, the, the, the importance of peer group when we, when we hit adolescence becomes much more obvious when you see in terms of status games. You know, that, you know when, we, when we go to secondary school, that's when we leave, you know, the, the kind of gay, you know, family life, which is not really a status game. It isn't a kind of a way, you know, with brothers and sisters and whatnot, but it's kind of fixed. who has got the status there. Uh, and we start playing adult games in, in adolescence. Our brains change such that we, we become, uh, you know, very sensitive to social uh, status kind of movies. That's why teenagers are obsessed with, they get very embarrassed very easily and are obsessed with status because suddenly it's all this new thing. And so, so, so peer group is really, really important. So I, 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 I'm doubtful as to how much conscious choice we have over the status games we end up playing. But of course we do have some, you know, if we feel that we, we, our life has become narrow and venal, we can go and work, work at the Samaritan, you know, volunteer at the Samaritans. And I've no doubt that for most people, that will be an amazing thing to do because suddenly they'll feel actually, you know, I am a good person and, you know, that they are genuinely helping and they are motivated to help. But also I feel really good about myself and that's the status. Unfortunately, we have completely run out of time, but Will, thanks so much for talking to us. That's Will Storr, author of the brilliant new book, The Status Game. Do pick it up. Thanks to everyone who sent in questions or tweeted, everyone who's watched, even in Sao Paulo. Thank you for joining us. And thanks also to Intelligence Squared for hosting this event.